Welcome to the Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. On today's episode, I am thrilled to have Jenny San Filippo, the owner of Ladies First Disc Golf, co-hosting with me. Also, a wonderful discussion with the Disc Golf Pro Tour's Danielle Charlier. If you don't know Danielle's name yet, she's the Pro Tour's most recent hire and was key in getting the women's shot-by-shot coverage airing with live commentary day of at the San Francisco Open. If you enjoyed the coverage and are interested in supporting the tour's women's coverage, please email Danielle at danielle at dgpt.com. All right, time to talk ladies disc golf. This is Becca Kephart. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, I'm joined by Ladies First Disc Golf owner, Jenny Sanfilippo. Jenny, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Becca. It's an, it's an honor and I, I love what you're doing here. So well, thank glad you to be so part much. of it. <laughs> so there's a lot for us to get to today. I'm really excited about today's topic, but you know I'm going to ask about it. We've got to start with the fact that you just got a new puppy. Oh yeah, Roscoe. And he- Roscoe's the new puppy. You might be like the cutest puppy in the whole world. Like, I love my dogs and they were really, really, really cute puppies. But this is like at another level. (laughs) I know. I just said to my husband when we got home from the course, because we got so many adorable pictures. Because if you go to my page, the Ladies First Disc Golf page, you'll see a picture of him in the top part of Jason's Dynamic Disc Ranger Bay. He got tuckered out and couldn't walk anymore. Being held like a baby Bjorn. Um, so I was like, Roscoe's kind of a, a celebrity now. <laughs> He's super cute. He's super laid back too for a puppy. Everyone's like, I've never met a oh, puppy man. so calm. Is he like still waking you guys up during the night though? Um, a little bit. Like I've, I've determined that it's essential for him to get on nighttime adventures. Yeah. <laughs> Even to walk around the block otherwise. He's antsy, but he really hasn't been too bad. Like last night, he did not bark at all when we put him in his crate, fell asleep, but he also played nine holes of disc golf right. and went <laughs> a day trip. So today I'm hoping that this 18 holes wears him out through the night. We'll see. <laughs> so you're basically telling me the secret of getting a puppy is just make sure you take him disc golfing. Uh, absolutely. That is the key to wearing your puppy out is taking to the disc golf course immediately. I love it. All right. (laughs) Good advice for all our listeners. Anyway, (laughs) so can you tell us a bit about how you started playing disc golf? Um, kind of share what brought you to disc golf and kind of some of maybe your favorite disc golf moments so far. Yeah. So I, um, when my husband and I started dating, we, I worked at a garden center and he's a landscaper and that's how we met. And we both were outdoors people. We both had dogs, different dogs. They've since passed on. Mm -hmm. But, um, at the time, like one of the things we would do is go on nature walks or he was like a super casual disc golfer at the time, never played a tournament, only had a couple discs. And that was like some of our first dates together. We're going to the disc golf course and the first year was, you know, super casual. The first six months, I mean, I could throw it like 20 feet, maybe. It seemed like, yeah. you know, throwing <laughs> it into volleyball nets and just all over the place and didn't really get hooked right away. It took me probably six to eight months. And like about a year after we started dating, I started to be able to throw somewhat flat. And I uh, only threw forehand for the first couple of years I played, but 
I, I could throw it flat. So I, that's when I started really getting hooked is once I could, you know, kind yeah. of control it at least, even though I wasn't throwing far, I, you know, so that's kind of how I first started in about, uh, that later that spring, we signed up for our first tournament, which was ran by the one and only disc golf guy, Terry Miller. And uh, it was the Western Lakes Open. It was on a like a ball golf course. It was mm-hmm. the only time a disc golf event has been played on that course. I feel pretty special to be part of it. And I would love the opportunity to play it again. Um, and it's kind of funny because two other guys who are in the Milwaukee area it was also their first tournament we didn't know them and that's Kevin Reinders from Pandemonium Disc Golf Mm. and Mike Hinton from the Disc Golf Experience so it's like that tournament kind of was like the birthing of a couple other disc golf companies without knowing it you know Mm. several years down the road so that was kind of the early years and you know I played a lot more tournaments when I first started I, I mean, I still play tournaments, but not as many just yeah. because it's hard with business and dogs and everything to play as many. Yeah, I mean, I think my first tournament was definitely a special experience. Um, my first time going to Disc Girls Gone Wild in Michigan, that was my first women's tournament. That was a cool experience. I also think um, in 2014 was the Disc on Ladies League, our first women's tournament, the Wisco Disco. And it I think we had like 54 women and it was just so, such a cool day. Yeah. Just, it was cool. So I would say, yeah, I mean, my first tournament and then some of these women's events in the beginning going to them. I mean, I still, every single one I go to is always a special event, but really just kind of catapulted the desire to continue, you know, to grow women's disc golf. And I think those women's tournaments and leagues are the key to growing women's disc golf. Absolutely. That's really great. And I mean, that that is just what we hear over and over again from yeah. really like literally everyone we talk to is the women's leagues. And then, you know, the women's tournaments is what has brought people not only into the sport, but kind of engage them enough to stick around. All right, so now we come to our segment, What You've Been Disking, where each one of us shares something disc golf related that we're excited about. So Jenny, what you got that you're excited right now about disc golf? Well, two things. Uh, obviously, my dog Roscoe taking him out to <laughs> the disc golf course is pretty much what I did this weekend and pretty much what I'll be doing for the next several years. Yeah. So. Um, being able to take him on the course and go to different courses that are dog friendly is critical. And my dog, Ellie, yeah. can't forget about her because she's the best girl ever. Yeah. And she, she's older, but when we say we're going to the park, her ears perk up and she gets so excited. Yeah. <laughs> so that as far as my casual fun life. Yeah. And then as far as like the um, working on women's disc golf part of my life, uh, the second major thing is the fifth annual Wisco Disco. Yeah is uh june 30th in marshall wisconsin it's part of the midwest women's tour it's the second stop and uh yeah so that is run by the discon ladies league who i've been involved with since we started it in 2013 so just kind of working to get um you know prizes sponsors players pack stuff ready so 
Yeah. Um, those are my main focuses right now is disc golfing with the dogs and Wisco Disco. <laughs> You've been discing. That's awesome. <laughs> so for me, I'm really, really excited. I played my seventh tournament ever yesterday. Awesome. And I'm just really excited about practicing playing tournaments. You know, I yeah. think that obviously just like any other part of learning how to play is also learning how to play tournaments and what tournaments are like. And like, when I was a kid, I was one of those weirdos. Like I loved taking tests because I wanted to know like where I was at. And that's kind of where tournaments are for me. Like my only goal really right now is to play above my rating. If I play above my rating, I'm a happy girl. It doesn't really take a lot because my rating's not super high yet. Um, And I just loved my tournament yesterday. I had great card mates uh, and I just learned so much. I did some things better than I've done before. I did some things that I can you know, easily correct. And I'm just really excited yeah. to kind of see where my game is at. Um, and yeah, I, I played both rounds above my ratings. So yeah, that's always been my goal for the last probably, I don't know, <laughs> seven years is yeah. to play above my rating. I'm like, I don't, I don't care where I finish. If I feel like I played good and played above my rating. And yeah. I feel like that's a really good way to set yourself up for continuous progress, you know, and sometimes <laughs> you're not going to shoot above your rating and you keep on, you just get back out there, you know? I mean, Oh yeah. It's what it's all about. You know, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, my interview with the disc golf pro tours, Danielle Charlier. Looking for the perfect disc golf disc to take your game to the next level. Ladies first disc golf makes the disc selection process easy with an inventory of women's friendly discs. Ladies first disc golf wants to make sure you are looking and feeling great on the course. Jazz up your disc golf wardrobe with a large selection of apparel items for women disc golfers chosen and designed by women's disc golfers. At Ladies First Disc Golf, the ladies always come first. Visit ladiesfirstdiscgolf.com for all of your women's disc golf, disc, apparel, and accessory needs. Danielle, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me. Um, So you were recently hired by the Disc Golf Pro Tour, and I know you're doing a lot of different things. So can you kind of describe your role? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Yes, I'm definitely wearing a multitude of hats uh, with the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Primarily, I was brought on board um, in a role to do business development, Mm -hmm. um, branding, bringing in sponsorship dollars to the company. Um, I have an extensive background in business consulting and sales, marketing, event planning. Um, I've run retail stores and service and just art and design, kind of a very varied background, um, which often fits really well with a small team yeah. because every one of us on the team is wearing multiple right. hats. Right. <laughs> you know. And then in addition to that, my focus is really being a player liaison. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to help. You know, I see the players out there. I see them giving it their all. And so I want to create a tour that is just allows them to go out there, Mm -hmm. follow their dreams, um, something that's financially viable to them and that they can also thrive in, you know, thrive physically and materially, but also emotionally. Yeah. And so that's really going to be a huge part of what I do. I really want to hear from the players. 
um, get feedback from them so that I can really build a tour that, you know, first and foremost works for them because yeah. that's why you started the tour in the first place. Yeah, that's that's really wonderful. So what brought you to disc golf initially? You know, it was funny. I guess it's pretty similar to a lot of people who have stumbled upon disc golf. <laughs> uh, one day a friend of mine said, uh, hey, do you want to go play disc golf? And I said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he was like, oh, Danielle, you'll love it. It's uh, in the forest. You'll be around trees and, right. you know, we just throw frisbees and it's fun. Um, so I joined him and it was in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and he took me to an extremely wooded course. Yeah. And it took me nine holes before I was enamored with the sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely loved it. Um, and in fact... The following morning, I was sitting in the parking lot of the disc golf store before they opened, just <laughs> waiting for them to open their doors mm-hmm. so I could buy my very first Frisbee. That's awesome. Um, and very quickly, I just got more and more immersed in the sport and the community. So yeah. it, was, it was instantaneous for me. What made you want to work in disc golf? So I, early on, I mean, as I'm sure you're experienced as well, the disc golf community is extremely supportive, (laughs) extremely encouraging and inviting. And so I had been just playing by myself. I was really trying to learn how to throw. I was actually just throwing by myself in a soccer field all the time and you know people would come by and invite me to play they offered me discs um you know would just give me pointers and so just very very soon into it about i would say like three weeks into it there was a big tournament happening in Asheville, Mm -hmm. and so i thought wow i could volunteer for this and you know kind of express my appreciation for what everyone has done to be so welcoming to you know this total beginner who was just really enamored and curious with the sport and so I volunteered at my first tournament in Asheville North Carolina Um, really active really great disc golf community Um, and then they invited me to play at a women's league. Mm. So I got to meet some of the women in town. Um, there's a professional disc golfer, uh, Jennifer McGibbon, who mm-hmm. hosts um, really fun women's leagues. And then I started uh, really looking on YouTube to find more coverage of the women. Yeah. And that's when I discovered uh, Terry Miller and all of his vlogs, you know, dating back many, many years. I'm sure you've seen them as well. Yep. Yeah. And I also saw Val Jenkins' announcement about leaving Innova and 
making a stand for equality for women in the sport. Yeah. Um, so I was very inspired by her doing that. Um, and then shortly after that, I saw the women's symposium mm. um, where Terry Miller and Smashbox TV hosted Val Jenkins and a number of people uh, talking about how to grow the women's sport. Yeah. Um, and so at this point, I was really wanting to see the women play in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I drove up to Illinois and I volunteered for the Ledgestone tournament. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things, you know, when you just resonate with people. <laughs> so I just immediately met, you know, Terry and Seth and Steve and I was acting in a volunteer role mm-hmm. at that time, um, but really liked working with them and helping to make the tournament happen. Yeah. And then the following year, I volunteered again at the Memorial Tournament, and I kept hearing people talk about wanting to bring awareness to the sport and mm-hmm. increase sponsorship and grow the sport just in general, make it more financially viable. I just kept getting this instinct in me. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, that's something I would love to do. And I, I have the skills to do it and Mm -hmm. I have the passion to do it. Yeah. And, you know, Steve and the team were saying, you know, we have to figure out a way to get you on tour with us. Yeah. And so we just started, you know, just really good, just genuine conversations about is there a way to make this happen? Mm -hmm. And that's how I came to be a part of the Crow Tour, Mm -hmm. that we we did find a way where we could make it happen. And that's just so exciting because I think what we continue to see and we've seen for years and years and probably like, you know, through the whole history of disc golf is that it's really neat to see all the different kinds of people with different backgrounds that disc golf has attracted. And then you've got, you know, this kind of double passion, right. Of I'm really, really passionate about disc golf. And then here's these skills that I can bring to the table. And that's just phenomenal because then that's just paying huge dividends Um, and let's go ahead and kind of fast forward here a little bit because one of those huge dividends I think already is uh, this past weekend at the San Francisco Open. Um, So we're coming off of this really big event and I believe it was your idea to kind of change up the FPO coverage a little bit and try to get the um, shot-by-shot coverage from that day in before the live MPO coverage. So can you talk a little bit about that and about the whole process? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something I am so excited about Um, that also started I was in this position because I was doing the uh, U-Disc live scoring for the lead SPO card and I'll just jump in really quick because I wish I could remember the exact term that uh, Matt and Josh used in the U-Disc chat room but they said you were basically like top-notch champion U-Disc scorekeeper so (laughs) just thought I'd throw that in there but anyway continue (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
And so, yeah, so here I am, and I'm scoring the lead FPO card and the lead MPO card. So I'm seeing the best players in the world, you know, just play morning, afternoon, morning, afternoon. And by the time I got to the Waco tournament, Mm. there was, I can't remember the whole number right now, but it is a very, very challenging par five hole through the woods, um, elevation, tight fairways, up to the green, extremely challenging, par five. And I had scored the round in the morning for the STO. And then later that afternoon, I was scoring for the Smashbox live coverage of the MPO. And there's a huge gallery Mm -hmm. and, um, the players teed off and we got to where one of the discs landed and it is, I mean, as incredible as these shots are in person. And I think you experienced this at GBO (laughs) as amazing as what, what these athletes are doing on film is, is 10 times more amazing when you see it in person and you hear the sound of the disc and you really understand the line they just had to carve to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. But there was this incredible drive thrown on the hole. And we got up to the drive and everyone was excited. I was excited. I was blown away. But then I remembered <laughs> that earlier that morning, Pixie Cannon mm-hmm. had actually driven a little further. Sure. Yeah. And it blew me away. Like this huge light bulb went off for me. And I said, you know, people don't realize how good the FPO is Mm -hmm. because I'm the only one out here watching them right now. You know, I was literally, there was one caddy and me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, no one got to see that drive. Like it was amazing. And so what I did was I, took out my cell phone and I just started taking short little cell phone videos of what I was seeing as I was scoring the rounds. And it grew into this idea of, you know, Steve and Terry and I talk and it's one of the things I love about the team, you know, it's, but both of those people are very innovative. Yeah. They want to listen to ideas. They yeah. want to try new things. Um, and so we'll sit down and talk about things like this. And that's where the idea came that, hey, what if we would have a bunch of people like I was volunteering to catch shots that they see and to film all of the cards at the San Francisco Open. Yeah. Um, so that was that was one component of what we experimented with this tournament. And then the second the second one was, you know, between rounds. I mean, Terry is working so hard right. the entire tournament. <laughs> yeah. um, I think you probably got to see a little of it again at GBO. Yeah. Um, it's astonishing how much he's doing to make things 
appear as smooth as they do right. when you're sitting at home watching on YouTube. Right. Yeah, I really wanted <laughs> um, to meet Terry at GBO, and it was like, there's no way that's going to happen because he's literally yeah. working the entire time I'm here, and I was there for like 16 hours. Like, it just wasn't yes. going to happen. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And he's still he's still up at 2 a.m. working. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's nonstop. Um, <laughs> so he's extremely devoted yeah. to his craft. And uh, so, yeah, I was, we were in Jonesboro when it was freezing cold, and he was huddled in front of a heater right. in the, the uh, DGPT trailer, editing to get those little 30-second uh, clips right. to sandwich into the MPO. And I was watching him, and because what he was doing had to be so detailed it had to include commentary mm-hmm. and you your craft is found so you know it's not simple right. to put commentary over these little 30 seconds you know slices i realized that it was taking about the same time to do these 30 second clips as it would potentially take for him to do shot-by-shot coverage and then have live coverage happen on top of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I went back to remembering myself when I'm, you know, sitting at home and I know there's a tournament going on across the country Mm -hmm. and I can't wait to hear what's happening. Right. You know, of course, I I tuned in to the live MPO coverage Mm because I wanted to see what was happening. I I wanted to see all of the plays and what was going on with the MPO. But I also wanted to see what was happening with the FPO. And I know that myself sitting there refreshing my, you know, YouTube, (laughs) (laughs) trying to catch it as soon as it drops, right? That, like, I didn't literally care whether someone just hit that putt or whether they hit that putt three hours ago. Right. I just wanted it as soon as possible. And so I thought myself as a spectator, like a semi live type of coverage, like if it could be the day of, I would have eaten that up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like I would have considered it live. Absolutely. You know, because close enough yep um and so i brought that idea up to steve and steve and carrie were both agreeable to give it a try yeah you know knowing that we're of course going to be attempting this very new concept um and we're going to be really pushing our boundaries but let's give it a try yeah you know i mean if if we fail, we fail, but we have to try new innovative ideas in order to take the small budget we have right. and maximize it to benefit the players, the spectators, and the tour. And can you talk a little bit about the process of, because I mean, the turnaround time was just crazy. I could not believe yeah. how quickly... <laughs> You know, because I was following along, obviously, on UDisc, and I knew, like, when 
kind of that last shot from the uh, feature lead card had been fired. And I was like, there's there's no way. And then yet there it was, yeah. which is just crazy. Yeah. So it was, you know, again, I have to credit, you know, Johnny V and yeah. Terry for making it appear as smooth and seamless right. as it did. Right. I mean, of course, you know, first day, we did not get all 18 holes. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but still, you know, given what they were uh, faced with and trying to pull off, it was about as seamless as it could have come yeah. across. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the process was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, we basically, the athletes started teeing off at about 9 a.m., um, there was a clubhouse mm-hmm. on the course. Uh, the clubhouse did not have sufficient Wi-Fi. <laughs> so we could not use the clubhouse as our studio. Yeah. Um, we thought we were going to be able to, but when we did the test runs, we discovered it wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. So Terry and I were set up next to each other. We each had our own computer. We were set up in the clubhouse. Um, Chad went out. He was filming the card. And then after two holes, just like you, I was watching U-Disc live. Um, I was sitting next to Terry and doing, you know, prepping the graphics, the scorecard, making sure the, you know, distances and the pars were in properly. After two holes, I would sprint to the T-pad of hole three, grab the SD card, sprint back to the clubhouse, hand it to Terry, and he would start editing the footage while I was next to him, kind of being his assistant. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I got caught up on things, it was time for me to run to grab the footage from hole four. Um, and we were trying to do it about every two holes that I was running to grab the SD card just so that we could get this uh, footage up. It was one of those things where, and you haven't been to this course yet, hopefully someday you'll yeah. get to come to SFO. That would be amazing to see you there. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a, you know, I, I don't know exactly. I think it clocks in at maybe 10,000 right. feet yep. or yep. something like that. Yeah. Um, typical San Francisco hills. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so as I was running to get these cards, like, I don't think that I physically probably had it in me mm-hmm. to do this. <laughs> But I was being like, I felt like I was being carried by two huge things. Yeah. One was this desire to get this semi-live coverage up for all of these athletes out there who were giving it their all yeah. and pouring their heart into it. So like they, that, that kind of like desire on their part and their hard work was like carrying me. Yeah. And then secondarily, 
there were all of these people out there who had volunteered their equipment and their time to be filming all of the other cars. And as I would run through the course, one of the people who were filming would stop me and say, you won't believe what happened on hole nine. Yeah. And then they would tell me the story about how Bailey Miller hit a 50-foot putt. Yeah. Or this incredible drive that someone threw. Yeah. And so just like the excitement on the course of all of these players and these people who volunteered their time to do this, Mm -hmm. it was like this really cool feeling on the course. And I think that like really carried through on the coverage too. Um, I mean, I could say as someone who was, you know, laying on my couch at home doing nothing but watching live disc golf, (laughs) (laughs) but it was awesome, you know, and like, um, I thought the, you know, the, the FPO coverage was just fantastic. I thought Madison did a great job. I felt, um, her and, and Lisa and Kona and Christina, like just they kind of had that extra level of enthusiasm too. It was probably like a little bit yeah. of a, a high of just like finishing your round too, right? You know, but like there yeah. was just kind of yeah. this buzz um, and it was, it was neat. Like they were just, I felt kind of on top of it. You know, they were, they were loose, but it was really good. Um, and I thought it just came across great. I thought, you know, really both the FPO and MPO coverage was fantastic. That is great to hear. Yeah, that just, it makes it all worth it to know that it came across that way. Well, and I know... Because it was created for you. Exactly. And and what's so cool about that, too, like, when I very first, like, started watching Disc Golf Media, it was uh, January of 2017 when the Australian Open was on, and I just watched the post-produced coverage on Spin TV, and I just assumed that's what it was, right? Like, this awesome coverage is just how Disc Golf works. I had no idea how far it had come and like how big of a year last year was until I really like went back and, and looked. So it's really exciting to think that, you know, maybe a brand new like female player, maybe that was the first tournament she watched and she's just going to assume it's always like that, you know, <laughs> like yes. Yes. <laughs> she's not going to know all the crazy effort and all of that, but it's just going to be like, oh yeah, this is just how they do things. It's cool. You know, and yes. that's, that's really yes. exciting. Were you guys able to get the shot by shot kind of coverage of all of the cards was that goal met so the goal wasn't shot by shot okay. of all of the cards um it was to be able to have someone filming gotcha. in whatever capacity they could right okay every yeah. card yeah 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 um some and and i had people i just like just thinking about the the people who did come out to volunteer. Yeah. Um, it was really special. I mean, we had people from showing up, they only had their cell phone, but they were so ecstatic to be a part of this yeah. that they yeah. actually had tears in their eyes as I sent them off on hole one. Yeah. All the way to people with extremely professional equipment who have a career of producing film. Yeah. (laughs) So we had 
everyone coming from a different place. And some of the cards, I was actually able to send out multiple people. Oh, wow. Okay. And each person was focusing on two players. Okay. Other cards, uh, people filmed shot-by-shot coverage to the point that there could actually be a round release of that card. So it's, it's a ton of footage. And so at this point, everyone is slowly uploading what they have to a Dropbox account that I've created. Um, and I'm slowly going through the footage to find whether it's just one, you know, circle two putt that was sure. amazing, right? Or whether it's an entire hole that they played really well, where mm-hmm. they birdied this hole, and I have every one of their shots showing that hole. Yeah. Um, and so I'm in the process right now of. I'm still waiting for some of the footage to be uploaded sure. and I'm in the process of compiling it so that we can put out a video or multiple videos cool. of some of the other really exciting things awesome. that was happening at this tournament. And, and of course, I mean, the more we know who these athletes are, yeah. what, you know, who they are, what their story is, some really incredible drives or putts or, you know, just some incredible things they've done. The more we see what these athletes do, the more we will want to see what these athletes do. Right, definitely. So this is just kind of the start where I think we're all going to be surprised at people that before the latest disc golf pro tour before the San Francisco mm-hmm. Open, we may never have heard of this person. Right. And we're going to see some things that really impress us. So is the hope then to do at the Utah Open kind of what y'all did at the San Francisco Open with the, the women's coverage being before the MPO? So we still have to talk about it to discuss. Sure. Um, what's really nice is we will again talk about how we felt about it, um, what things went well, what things we need to preemptively work on. Um, I can tell you that I'm already looking for uh, some very strong Wi-Fi signal. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So that we can see if we can have a studio where we could get there and be permanently set up, not have to break it down and set it up every single day. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so once we all, as a team, discuss it, we will then to just decide if we can um, pull this off right. in Utah. Yeah. But absolutely, our hope is to do something very similar. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with me. You provided some really great insights. Uh, to what you're all doing and and really kind of where disc golf media and disc golf business is at. There's so much more that we could talk about, so we'll have to have you back soon. So thank you so much, Danielle. Yeah, you're welcome. Welcome back. Our topic today is the business of disc golf. 
As Terry Miller says on his Patreon page, no one is getting rich in disc golf, but there is business going on. And certainly as the sport grows, we're going to continue to see more of it. So Jenny, what made you decide to start a disc golf business? Um, So in 2015 in spring, I was working, I still have the same job. I sell flower bulbs online and the company was kind of, I don't know, going through some transitions and this job interview because I was thinking about getting a different job at this super corporate place and I was terrified and I was like I can't do that that's not me and it kind of started I was like I really you know would love to own my own business someday and I love promoting women's disc golf I love getting more women playing um, seeing them throw discs that they should throw and I was like you know it's so confusing buying discs especially when you first start or even when you have some discs that you know what they do but then you need other discs for different situations and I was like no one really you know sells discs with a with women in mind obviously women can throw any disc they would like you know like there's no limit but when you go to a website it's like well is this product description written for the average player which is probably a guy you know, is, or is it written for a woman? You know, I wanted to make the process of purchasing discs easier um, by carrying discs that I feel like the average woman from a beginner to a pro would throw, Um, you know, so I wanted to make the, the disc purchasing process easier from a women's perspective and also for guys who want to get their women playing because I, from running my league, I've seen so many women who are like, oh yeah, my boyfriend just gave me like his leftover, his, you know, used discs, mm-hmm. you know, and they're beat up like destroyers and, <laughs> you know, things that women probably shouldn't be starting out with. And then uh, I also, um, you know, wanted to be able to kind of work with other people who make products that are women for disc golf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to distribute their items too, which I, in the, in the early stages, I, I did a little bit more and I would like to continue to do. So if you are a woman and you make something just golf related, hit me up because we can work something out probably. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I just kind of wanted to, so that's kind of how I started. I have a background in e-commerce. Like I said, I sell flower bulbs online. So I had that kind of background with running a website, writing product descriptions, you know, selling, marketing. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where it all started. I just felt like there was a need for a business to cater to women's disc golf needs, whether it be apparel, um, discs, you know. It's interesting because for me, it's kind of when I first started playing disc golf, I played um, my first tournament in our all women's tournament here last year. But at the time I was working on Saturdays and okay. I uh, I just I couldn't play tournaments because pretty much all sanctioned tournaments happen on Saturdays and I actually work Sundays, too. So <laughs> that kind of <laughs> just wasn't going to be a thing that I was going to be able to do. So I, I really wanted to find a way that I could kind of change um, things up a little bit to free up my Saturdays. So I was able to do that. But then with that, it's like, well, OK, I'm working a little bit less now. And, you know, I've, I've taught 
music lessons, private guitar and group guitar and all that kind of stuff for years and years. Um, and I wanted to just kind of start dabbling in something else. So I was thinking about, you know, going back to school or just, you know, what would it be just to have another, another skill? And I'm like, well, I'm really interested in media. I really love podcasts. <laughs> I listen to them a lot and I do, you know, music composition and just kind of working through all of that. And then ultimately, you know, decided to do this podcast and, you know, just with the hope that someday it'll be kind of like a real part-time job. You know, the work is certainly there um, and hopefully, I guess the compensation will follow eventually. But it's neat when you're able to do something like that that you're passionate about because, (laughs) you know, even if the podcast or whatever never ever makes any money... I'm still thrilled. I'm still so, so happy to be doing it. Kind of like what you said, I saw kind of a need because I had like gotten so into disc golf, so into disc golf media, but it was kind of like, okay, where are the women? Like, (laughs) I heard a few women on commentary, but, you know, due to the sport are, you know, mighty and hopefully growing seven to 8% that we are, I you know, recognize that there was an opportunity. And I think that's what's so cool about about disc golf. Terry was actually talking about it on Smashbox a couple of weeks ago. Like if you have a passion, if you see something that maybe the sport's missing, there are just so many opportunities. Um, It's not a get rich quick, you know, scheme by any means. But But yeah, it's it's a I would say disc golf is a baby still. It's You know, it's so young still. I mean, it's only been around for 40, you know, 40 some years or whatever. And so there are a lot of opportunities like for things that are needed in it. And the women, you know, there's, there's, we need our voices heard. And your podcast is what uh, such a great way to feature the women and talk about the women and, you know, um, keep us involved. And it's cool too, because, you know, really my, my hope when I first thought about it was, hey, if if I do the thing, I bet there's a lot of others that want to do the thing too. And it's so cool that the, the Disc Golf Pro Tour hired Danielle and she's just awesome and doing all of these really cool things. Um, and I think we're just going to continue to see more and more. There's Empowered Disc Golf in Washington. Um, mm-hmm. There's just, because again, what's, what's also cool about doing this right now is where disc golf's at, but also where technology's at. Like, it's Mm -hmm. really easy to do, um, you know, audio and video. It takes talent to do it well, but it, there's not as many things standing in the way, I think, as there once was. Um, Yeah. And hopefully it'll keep growing. So, awesome. Uh, So, what have you done to build your business? Like, what advice would Um, you give? Yeah, so... The initial, when I first launched the website, the initial thing was ordering inventory. And unfortunately, and fortunately, (laughs) I can't order everything I want to from every company I want to. But the fact that I'm only carrying, not carrying every single mold, because there's some things that I just know that, you know, 89% of women who play disc golf aren't throwing, so I don't really need to carry those things. Um, So that was kind of... The initial was like building an inventory, which I'm still building an inventory. Um, That and then combined with getting the name out there, which I'm still working on. You know, I'm 
uh, social media, as much as people, you know, cut, you know, have their qualms about social media, it is a blessing for disc golf yeah. because we're such a grassroots sport that the the biggest part of this the startup part is just building the inventory and the name. And you all travel around a little bit now too, right? Like you were at yeah. GBO. Yeah, I was at yeah, I was at the GBO this year and last year. Um, last year I went to Ladies at the Lake in Columbus. And I am tentative to go there again. I might go there. I just have another event the following weekend. So I got to kind of figure it out. I mean, if there's an opportunity for me to vend at an event, I, you know, will often take it up if I can. So this is kind of a really big question and something I think about a lot. And that is, how do you find the balance between disc golf work and disc golf play? Like, do you find yourself playing more or less since you started Ladies First? Um, I definitely play less than when I started because before I had this business on a Saturday, if I wanted to go to my local course, other than like doing, you know, housework and grocery shopping and all the adult things, I could go, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. a big deal. But like right now I have four types of tank tops and tops I need to make. So I have a full-time job still. So after work, I sometimes do work, but yeah, even tournaments, you know, a lot of times I can't take the whole day off to go play a tournament. Like I, like I used to, um, I mean, I'm fortunate for my ladies league. We play on Thursday nights. So from May until Labor Day about, I definitely get to play that night a week. And Luckily, at my current job, I am between two disc golf courses, so I Mm. try to sneak out on my lunch break as long as it's not too hot. That is one thing I would say that if you are thinking about starting a disc golf business, be aware that it may cut into some of your playing time, depending on what it is. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I think that that is definitely generally true. Like a lot of our disc golf media people, like, you know, Terry and Ian, uh, Jonathan Gomez, they're all really good disc golfers, Um, but they don't get, you know, they don't compete nearly as much as they once did because they kind of gave themselves over to this other thing. And for me, it's really interesting because the podcast gives me a kind of an excuse to engage even more so I feel like in some ways I'm actually getting to play extra which is awesome but then also you know I probably spend it's it's much easier in a lot of ways but I probably spend like somewhere between five to ten hours per podcast between planning recording editing you know all of that stuff and that is time that I'm not actually playing disc golf but, you know, let's be honest, I'd be thinking about and talking about disc golf anyway. So, so you as well let everyone else hear it too, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of fantastic. I Our, will say, yeah, yeah. Um, so when I, like, get new, new inventory in sometimes, that is a good reason to get out to the course yeah. because yeah. I need to try this disc out so I know what it does. I mean, right. it's a lot easier to sell it to someone or help them buy it when you kind of know what it does and the other thing too is if I don't play for a while I feel disconnected right from the sport so it's it's important that I get out there and play and you know meet new people and everything but it's still definitely not as much as if I had more free time but I wouldn't give it up I would not for the world because I love right. doing it. <laughs> yeah. And to that point, shout out to Flex Disc Golf over on Facebook um, on our page. They commented when I posted about this episode. 
They said, it's fun building a business around a passion and a goal. Doesn't feel like work. I think that's really true for me as a person obsessed with this golf and loving to talk about it. Like I said, this just gives me an outlet and an excuse. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So I want to shift gears here just a little bit and talk about um, a couple other things. You know, neither one of us are professional disc golfers, <laughs> yeah. but we know professional disc golfers, certainly you, you've got, you know, a whole team of them and, and you've been around a while. Um, and there's, I think, you know, for someone like me, who's kind of new to the sport, I didn't really know how things worked. And I don't think it really clicked for me until I was at GBO that I saw, you know, all these players out at the block party vending, right? It's kind of like, you know, it takes a lot of hustle to stay out on the road. Like tournament winnings are not going to be enough. Sponsorship stuff is not probably going to be enough. Like it it takes a lot of kind of extra work, I guess. Would you say that's true? I would absolutely say that's true. I think, I mean, yeah, I have not ever been on the road and I probably won't ever be any sort of uh, person on tour. But I do think, yeah, from just being around the scene and at events that I think you definitely need to find, if you are going to tour, some other way to make additional funds, whether that be through a disc golf related product or service, or if you're lucky to be talented to freelance in some other way, you know, I think people who have like technical skills right. that can do a job from the road, mm-hmm. that could be a, a good way to, you know, live the dream, but still have a sustainable income. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's just, and you really have to, like you said, hustle, you have to market yourself and put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, let people know who you are and people will want to support you, you know, but it's, yeah, it's a lot of work for sure. It's, I think everyone, you know, they, it looks fun and I'm sure it is fun and the adventures you get to go on, but I'm sure there's trying times too, where, you know, you're worried about, you know, getting the gas and getting the food in in your belly. So, yeah, it's kind of funny coming from a musician background because this all feels like super familiar to me. <laughs> like it's kind of like when you like first are getting your band out there, you know, and like you don't really quite have enough yet to, you know, not do your own work, right? And right. like hopefully at some point this golf gets to whatever the equivalent of like being the world's biggest band is, right? Like we get yeah, to that exactly. cold play level or whatever it is that <laughs> we have like this initial income, but really it does feel very similar to like those, those just smaller being, you know, a musician tour. Um, right. Yeah. Playing at a club and you don't know, you know, might not be making a lot, but you're getting your name out there. You're meeting new people and, you know, right. And so one other thing I want to touch on, and we don't really need to do too much, I would really, really strongly recommend, um, if you're interested in this particular topic, uh, checking out uh, one of the Smashbox podcasts from last week where they talked with Sean Jack, because they got in a really good conversation about um, paying tournament directors and like the work that goes <laughs> into being a tournament director. And you, you've you been a tournament director for some tournaments, right? Yes, I have. I was the TD for this year's Women's Global Event, the Foxy Ladies Women's Global Event, and I also yeah. in 2016. And for the Wisco Disco, I have been the assistant TD. My good friend Carla, her husband Sergio, is, in my opinion, the best tournament director yeah. ever. He's so like just organized, thoughtful, 
um, and he loves helping us. So he's been the official tournament director, but I've been, you know, doing a lot of the, um, he kind of does a lot of the administrative part of it. And Mm -hmm. our ladies league together as a whole, we do a lot of the promotion, getting the players pack stuff ready. And, you know, I don't play the Wisco Disco anymore because I can't, like I played it the first year, but I just, I can't, I can't, I can't play it and TD it, you know, it's a lot of work and that's another thing is if you are going to become a tournament director it's one thing to consider is you may not be able to play right um sometimes you can like if when i run the sparkle oh yeah that's right i also run my tournament the sparkle open and that one i've been fortunate enough to be able to uh play yeah. last year it was unsanctioned and it was a costume contest so nice. really <laughs> um so but um yeah, I actually, I feel that if you are going to stick with disc golf for the long term, you should at some point in your disc golf career, you don't have to TD an event, but you should volunteer right. to help out at an event, whether it be spotting on the course yep. or helping with scorecards or helping with getting the stuff ready, the players packs and everything, because you get a whole new perspective yeah. on all the work that goes involved and yeah i mean no one tournament directors there isn't as of right now there isn't really a set wage and not everyone does get paid from it and stephanie asked on facebook kind of to your point right that we we kind of operate on volunteers right (laughs) Uh, we absolutely do everything i feel like and just golf operates on not everything but good good portion of it operates on volunteers and what's like what's crazy about you know, what Sean was talking about was his volunteers got compensated more than he did because he lost money this year because this tournament, you know, the San Francisco Open, something that he's hoping to grow and turn into a business. But like the volunteers got, I think, like a disc, right? And they got some food and uh, a shirt, you know, so it's not like a lot of stuff, but it's still something. It seemed weird to me to find out that you know, TDs often don't get compensated. And I don't think there's anything wrong with pushing towards where they do. You know, there's just, there's so much work involved. Um, And I think we all know some tournament directors that just kind of knock it out of the park every time. Um, So my hope for them would be that they can build it as a business. There's like nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. Um, And yeah, we are super volunteer based right now, you know, and hopefully in the future, you know, we can kind of get to the point where people can actually have like teams of people. But again, that's like every disc golf business, right? Like, right. I, I feel like the other thing too, with that is longevity, you know, you can volunteering for so many years, kind of get burnt out on it after a while, you know? So I think it's part it's essential to the growth of it. I think there will always be volunteers, right? you know, but I don't, I think that disc golfers as a whole need, need to kind of start, you know, realizing that it's okay for a tournament director to get compensated for their work. And I think it's okay, even if you love something to get compensated for work again, kind of coming out of the whole like world of being a musician, you'll get these ads you know, on Craigslist, especially all the time that say, hey, come here and play my thing for exposure. And us musicians will pass those ads around and ridicule them because (laughs) there's this thought, well, hey, you just like playing music. It's fine. It's like, nah, this is also my job. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's creative. But 
it's okay to get paid for doing work. Well, and that I see that too. Um, my husband's a landscape designer and I see that in like the design industries too, yeah. but whether it be graphic design, landscape design, you know, it's like, Hey, you know about this. Will you, you know, people don't realize that like designing something is work, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just kind of people coming around to the value of people's time. Yeah. Really good. Okay, so one last question from Facebook. Jose asked, what do you do with all your unsold plastic? Well, I hope to sell it. I mean, yeah. sometimes it, it takes me a while <laughs> to yeah. sell things, depending on what they are. Sometimes I order things and I think people will like them and, you know. Um, so sometimes uh, I donate them to events. Sure. I typically, I get requests for donations and I try to donate as much as possible, but obviously... Yeah, I'm a small business. There's only so much I can do. Right. Um, I have to maintain the business. So, yep. um, in November, around the holidays, do a mystery box. So sometimes, like a disc that maybe is slower moving, might get yeah. put in a mystery box. Not that there's anything wrong with that sure. disc at all. It's just maybe something that someone doesn't know that they need. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, like. When I sell my mystery boxes, I ask what their skill level is mm. so that I can, okay, so someone is an intermediate player. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to give them something that I feel like most intermediate level women yeah. would be throwing or could throw well, you know, something they might not know about because there's so many discs out there. It's hard to, it's hard to keep up on it. It either just stays in inventory, it gets donated it goes into a mystery box so yeah that's that, great hopefully that's... that answers your question jose yeah that's great that's really really smart <laughs> all right good conversation we'll take a short break and when we come back some listener questions we're back with a couple listener questions so taryn asked this uh, a while back she's asked on facebook how do you deal with second round nerves? First round, I just go out and play. And then second round, I either think about I'm so many point shots behind or so many shots ahead of the next person and tend to play with nerves. How do you get past that? I mean, there's a couple ways. Like if you're fortunate enough on lunch to have some friends there yeah. or someone you know, you know, talking to your friends, just kind of hanging out, not, not necessarily talking about the round, but just being normal, you know, talking about um, life, you know, what's going on with your friends and kind of not thinking about what just happened or whatever, just to get it off your brain for a little bit. Um, also, just remembering that anything can happen. It's not over until it's over. So there's, you know, like, mm -hmm. no matter what happens, it's, you know, you can't really predict it. So you should just do your best. And uh, one thing that I, I was listening to, it's not a podcast, it's just like a recording thing on Spotify. And it was about ch the challenges of the mental game of golf. So more talking to regular yeah. golfers, obviously it translates to disc golf. And one thing that he was saying, and I've, I've seen this and I've seen other people say it, is the most important shot is the next. So I uh, tend to, especially if I'm getting kind of squirrely and, you know, not playing consistent, doing weird things that I usually don't do, I try to repeat that to myself mm -hmm. over and over and over that, you know, to remind myself, like, well, whatever just happened, just, you know, try to fix it on the next shot. And if you don't, just the next shot is still important. And, 
you know, having a short memory. So yeah. uh, one other tip is that I've seen my friend Barrett do, um, if anyone knows Barrett White, she is a ball of energy. She comes from uh, the ultimate Frisbee background. So she loves playing catch. And, uh, you know, if you get some like uh, understable putters, like uh, I think she plays catch with like a soft banger, just craft soft banger, um, find a friend, someone else, play catch with them, kind of get that energy out of you, you know, and playing catch is a good way to like focus on a target without it being a target. You know, yeah. you're trying to throw a person, um, you can try different shots and if, you know, doesn't get to them, you're not worried about it. Yeah, I had kind of a weird thing happen yesterday. And again, just my seventh tournament ever. So I'm still <laughs> pretty new, still <laughs> figuring stuff out. But I was having some putting woes in the first round, just kind of missing some putts I usually make and kind of all over the basket. And like my first real putt of the second round, it was probably... 25 or so feet and I was just like well what's the worst thing that could happen it doesn't go in it's already not gone in a bunch of times and I just started hitting putts <laughs> like <laughs> I somehow found a way to kind of use the negative thing to happen to realize okay kind of my worst case scenario has already been happening today so I might as well you know just throw the thing and it kind of took the pressure off and it 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 was great so hopefully I can carry that over into my next tournament we'll see yeah yeah definitely that uh i've had that happen too where yeah the first tournament i played this year my first round was kind of rough it wasn't like terrible but yeah. it wasn't yeah. great and i messed up on some holes that i shouldn't have you know necessarily <laughs> and then second round i started well at the end of first round i started straddle putting mm -hmm. and I was making everything. So second round I went into it and I was like, I'm going to straddle putt. And I had this like in my brain for whatever reason, I can't miss. Like I just, yeah, I felt that way, you know, and I, I was making putt. So sometimes it's just working through it, you know, yeah. it's kind of part of, part of the challenge yeah. and the fun yeah. of it. Next question comes from Kristen and she asked, how do you throw a hyzer flip or turnover shot? So I know when I first started watching disc golf and I was watching a lot of like Central Coast disc golf videos and Ian was always talking about flippy discs <laughs> and it took me watching a lot of those to figure out what flippy meant. <laughs> so the first thing I would say is to definitely find an understable disc. Understable discs make turnover shots way easier. Um, when you look at a disc and you see that turn number, anything that's negative is kind of telling you how flippy it is. So something with a high negative number, like negative three, is going to turn over easier. And then also those kind of flight numbers tell you what the disc kind of should do when you're giving it kind of the right level of power, if that makes sense. So for me to get my turnover shot to go, I just grab a flippy disc and I throw it pretty hard. I don't throw it too hard because for me then it's gonna kind of flip into a roller, uh, but I give it mm -hmm. some umph for sure. And then hyzer flips uh, are really magical. <laughs> it's not actually a shot <laughs> that I'm really awesome at, but I've seen it done a bunch of times. And that's throwing one of those flippy discs usually with uh, a good amount of a hyzer angle. And so it kind of starts, on the hyzer and then it flips up to flat. Um, the most beautiful hyzer flip shot I've ever saw, 
scene was with this guy we were playing a sanctioned round over the winter and he just cut through the trees like perfectly like it mm-hmm. it started on that hyzer and then just flipped to flat and just sailed through it was super cool uh do you have any tips to add to that well i'm glad that you said that you are better at turnovers because i am better at hyzer flips yeah. than turnovers. i actually on my lunch break last year i finally figured out how to throw a turnover those lunch break rounds <laughs> So important to me because yeah. myself, I usually have a random assortment of discs that I'm testing out. I'm testing out different throws because I'm usually not keeping score and just throwing and it's happy to be out of my office. So um, turnover, yeah, I mean, that I'm still working on because I'm not very consistent mm-hmm. with it, but I can kind of do it. Um, and I throw forehand too. So sometimes, right. the, sometimes a forehand line will work if you were to throw a turnover mm-hmm. and a hyzer. Um, but hyzer flips are one of the things that I was able to kind of figure out because mm-hmm. I tend to throw a lot of understable discs. So the first disc I would suggest, and this is the disc that I that taught me how to play backhand, is the Latitude 64 Diamond. Yeah. It is a really good hyzer flip disc. Um, you know, just in like I usually in my hand have it tilted down a little bit. And, you know, I'm planning on releasing it on a hyzer line, you know, snapping your wrist. And like Becca said, it will flip, flat, fly straight. Um, yeah. uh, the I've kind of upgraded from the diamond. I still throw them, but to uh, Westside Disc Underworld. Yeah. And that is another really excellent hyzer flip. So definitely the key to a uh, hyzer flip that I am aware of is yeah. starting with a uh, more understable disc. Yeah, and to that point, um, my like for sure turnover disc is an MVP signal and that's a fairway driver. So yeah, okay. something with a smaller rim for a woman definitely I think is easier to get that turnover. And kind of to your point, when I finally kind of found my power in my drives, it was because of a big reach back and I tend to kind of overreach. I'm a right-hand backhand player, so I overreach a little bit to my left. So it's automatically coming out with an Anheuser angle. So I had to work really hard on trying to make sure I wasn't just throwing everything on that Anheuser. So I'd like to do a quick uh, FPO wrap up from uh, last weekend and then this upcoming weekend. Uh, So the San Francisco Open, did you get a chance to watch any of the coverage? I did last weekend. It was so hot up here. Yeah, that's too. 90 degrees. And Saturday, I played a tournament. So Sunday, I woke up and that's what I turned on. Yeah. I think I saw, oh, I want to say maybe like the first round and one of the last rounds. I did see the Sarah Holcomb ace. Cool. Which was so cool. And my dad, I was just over at my parents' house and he was like, I was watching ESPN Sports Center and I was like, and you saw an ace, Sarah Holcomb. So it's okay. cool. My, my dad saw that. But um, yeah, that course looked beautiful. Right. Yeah. It kept. Well, like just saying over and over again like I want to play that course yes Yes, it looked like a magical land with elevation and awesome trees and yeah super I was super excited to see a new course too something you know I always watch the memorial and I've been and I've played that tournament and been down there and and that's always a cool tournament to watch because it's the first of the year and everything but it was really nice to see a new course that had such beauty to it and such um you know different hole or you know good holes yeah did you get a chance to watch any of the live coverage 
Uh, yeah, I did. I did watch the live coverage. Cool. So did you get to see the the live commentary with, um, were you watching on Sunday? I was watching it on Sunday. Okay. It was, uh, was it Madison? Madison and, and Kona. Yeah. Yeah. I think they did a, a really good job. It's kind of, it's cool to have the perspective from women yeah. who just played, you know, so they can kind of give you more insight on how the whole plays yeah. that you see from your home yeah I thought it was really great it felt you know like splicing it into the the MPO coverage had its benefits but if I'm totally honest I was never a huge fan of that it just felt super rushed and I just couldn't really stay in the moment of what was happening during the round so yeah to- and sometimes they would cut it off early I right think. yeah right, where you see them finish the whole, the whole you know and that's yeah, not yeah. Great. So it seemed really cool. I was able to watch it both Saturday and Sunday, and there was a thousand plus watching um, in real time. So that was really cool. Uh, and sounds like they're hopefully going to continue with that. And I think that's going to be awesome. Um, and in, again, that's, you know, Danielle kind of came up with the idea and then Steve and Terry were receptive to it and willing to give it a shot. And it was, you know, a crazy process, but I thought they pulled it off really well. Yeah, yeah, um, and lots and, of rush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get from the course to do the commentary. I mean, I applaud those ladies yes. for doing that. So we're recording this podcast a little early, so we're not going to get to anything from this weekend. But I did want to give a shout out to the La Nina Open. That's a women's tournament mm-hmm. happening in Washington, and I know several of the touring pros are up there, uh, which yeah. makes sense because we've got Beaver State coming up next weekend. So they had a chance to play an all-women's tournament in between, which I think is super cool. Um, I think that's a great idea for other tournament directors. You know, if you're looking to build a women's tournament, if you can kind of put it regionally in a good spot uh during the tour you'll probably get some players which is really cool yeah absolutely and i know uh chris up there worked really really hard on this tournament so i'll be excited to see how that all turns out and then yeah next weekend is the beaver state fling uh we're gonna have jomez on the fpo coverage so that'll be fun they haven't been on fpo coverage here in a minute um, and there's 25 women currently signed up for the FPO field. I'm really excited to see some of the West Coasters we haven't seen as much. Uh, Vanessa Van Dyken's out playing again. I was super impressed with her play in the Kona Peach Day last year. And uh, we'll get some other Northwesterners. I saw Elaine King is signed up. So should be should be a cool field for sure. And uh, Milo McIver yeah. is, I was fortunate to go out to Oregon in 2016 and I was fortunate my friend Emma Rose Hanley was our tour guide. And that course is magical. Yeah. It is a magical place in all of the lands of disc golf, in my opinion. <laughs> so just watching that coverage is just appealing to yeah. the eye. You know, it's such, such a great course. So yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah. uh, shout out to Zoe and Dyke. She's playing that tournament too. And I believe that's actually her home course, which is just crazy to think about that being your home course, right? <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, that would be a great, great home course. I mean, we played a couple other courses. We played Pier Park in Portland and uh, Dexter in Eugene. And I mean, uh, yeah, people out in the Pacific Northwest are blessed with great scenery. Yeah, out in there. 
is. So I completely understand why the scenes are big out there, you know. Yeah, I definitely want to do a disc golf trip up there someday. And I'm thinking I might need to head to California too so I can get to those yeah. courses we've seen the last <laughs> couple of weeks. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. That's our show. Any shout outs? I would like to shout out to all my Sparkle sisters on Ladies First Team. I couldn't do it without your help and all the different things they helped me with. And also to the Disc on Ladies League, um, all of the ladies that I work with on growing women's disc golf in Wisconsin, Christina, Carla, Lindsay, Jenna, Becky, Lauren, all those ladies. Um, yeah, I, I guess my shout out is to all the disc golf women out there. And I think if you have a desire to grow women's disc golf, start a league, run a tournament, do something. And all of us working together can bring that 8% PDJ number up over time. I think it'll happen. Yep, absolutely. I love it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. My thanks to Jenny and Danielle for joining me today. If you are interested in supporting the podcast, visit our website, ladiesofthechains.com, where you can click on the support button or email us at ladiesofthechains at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you.